I'm Bishop Sherman Young. Each week, the Word Break podcast answers questions about God, faith, and other spiritual issues. Here is this week's message. We focused on Isaiah 54, 17, and 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. In looking there, let's read together in concert Isaiah 54, 17. You should have it in front of you. Let's read it with our best voices all over the church. Come on. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. No weapon, would you look at this closely, formed against you, lowercase y shall prosper and every tongue that rises against you lowercase y in judgment uppercase y you or God shall condemn well let's look at that again no weapon formed against me shall prosper and every tongue which rises against me in judgment God shall condemn This is the heritage of the service of the Lord, and the righteousness is from me, says the Lord. 2 Corinthians 10, 3, and a couple of the following verses. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal weapons, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I'd like to go back to the top of that. For though we, you and I, walk in the flesh, which is our physical bodies, we do not war according to the flesh. Now, the flesh would be the natural man. We do not war according to the natural man. Well, what is the natural man? Intellect, logic, willpower, and positive thinking. Those are the weapons of the world. They're not necessarily the weapons of the church or of the believer when you're on your spiritual walk. We are not using logic to live the Christian life. We're not using common sense, as we would call it. Some people would say, well, God gave me five senses. But those five senses have nothing to do with your victory. Matter of fact, the same five senses you have, dogs have. Seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, hearing. So God didn't give you five senses for you to live the spiritual life or the life of victory. So we do not war according to the flesh. Logic is fleshly. Positive thinking is good, but it falls short of winning victory in warfare. So you cannot live your life as a Christian off positive thinking. That is a substitute that comes from the world. Same is true with reasoning, yoga, meditation. Those things do not belong to the child of God. Are they okay to do? Yes, as long as you're not depending on them for victory in your life. I know you've got willpower, but let's talk about how many times willpower has failed you. What about that diet you tried? And you've tried every kind. You've had the salt and pepper diet, the Beyonce diet, the vinegar diet, the three-day diet, the two-day diet, the 21-day diet, and you've only gained weight. Because it's not about willpower. Those are the weapons of the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, and the word carnal means fleshly or physical or natural, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Would you look at me for a moment, please? 
a stronghold is in the in Bible times they didn't have the type of warfare that we have now. We have air air war. We can drop bombs. Uh, North Korea just tested another missile, and they said they're sure that one can reach Chicago. Um, well, they didn't have that in Bible times. In Bible times, everything was hand-to-hand -hand combat. And that's why the cities had walls surrounding them to keep them safe. And they would put their best fighters on the wall in lookout posts. Those guys were called strongholds. Their purpose was if the enemy attacked, they had to climb the wall to seize the city and on top of that wall was your best military personnel. So if anybody climbed the wall, the best soldier or the stronghold that's protecting the city could kill the intruder. Would you look at me for a moment? Before you met the Lord, there were certain thoughts that you had here that you learned either from your mother or from life, from the world, and th this is what you live by here. Well, the purpose of those thoughts was to keep you where you were as an unbeliever. You went to church a few times and heard the word, but it didn't make any sense to you, and you didn't respond to it because you thought you were smarter than that. You thought you were smarter than the preacher, or you thought you were smarter than what the preacher was preaching, or you thought that you were okay. I don't need that. But one day you heard a message, and the message, see, faith is here in the belly. It's not here. You can't read the Bible and catch it here. You have to catch it down here. You catch it here. Well, faith hits you here. When I preach faith to you, I'm not preaching to your mind because what I'm preaching can't make sense up here. I'm preaching to you about a Jesus you've never met that came from a land you've never been to. And I'm saying he's the son of God and God is invisible and Jesus is a historical figure. So you have to have faith in order to accept anything that I'm saying. If you say the Bible is true, you're saying that by faith. If you're saying prayer is true, you're saying that by faith. Faith is here. Now what, what does faith have to do? Look, faith has to climb the wall until it gets here. See, when I preach faith to you, you will sit there and say, oh, I never heard that before. I don't know about that. That's the stronghold keeping you where you are. When I preach faith to you, if you say, yes, I can see that, then that faith has to come up here and attack that thought. Poverty is a mindset. You don't have to be poor. I don't care how long you've been on disability and fixed incomes. See, that's here. Are you understanding what I'm saying? You don't have to stay sick. You don't have to stay broken down. The purpose of the word is to release you from that type of thinking. The purpose of the world is to keep you there. Have you noticed that the songs we like the most in life are the ones that contribute to our destruction? We like songs about folks fighting and violence and, you know, police being killed and folk in the neighborhood being shot. Have you noticed that the most popular TV shows are about murder? There's something that fascinates us about how to get away with murder. Or law and order about one murder after the next, after the next, after the next. Or forensic files, murder after murder after murder. We love bloodshed. But when we preach faith, that is to release you from that. So that's why the next verse says, if you look at verse 5, casting down arguments. You, you've been arguing against the word. You've been arguing against the preacher. You, you've stayed in poverty because there's a part of you that believes that I have to stay where I am. You play that music over and over. See, I don't appreciate music that glamorizes the ghetto. 
I don't appreciate that because I'm not going to let my, my, my music dictate how I live. When I found out that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, I started changing what I was listening to. And in changing what I'm listening to, I realized that I could make the changes in life. And the Holy Ghost is my helper. Too many saints think that the Holy Ghost is going to do it for you. That's not his job. His job is not to, to prosper you or to get you to prosperity. That's not the job of prayer either. The Holy Ghost is your helper to move you from the back of the line to the front of the line. But he's only there to help you, not to push you, not to pull you, and not to force you. But once you say you want to move, he's available. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself, look at this, against the what? Knowledge of God. See, it's all about what you know. What did Jesus say? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall, I didn't hear you, the truth shall, but that's only the truth that you know. Only the truth that you know can free you in that area. If you know you don't have to stay in poverty, you can come out. But you still may be in bondage in some addiction. But if you receive the truth about the power of the Holy Spirit, you can come out of that addiction. What did I say to you last Sunday? People, the most popular question that people ask me is, Pastor, how do you fight it? How do you fight temptation? How do you fight depression? How do you fight discouragement? And the answer is simple. You don't. You're not taught anywhere in the word to fight those things. The Bible says you put on the whole armor of God and having done all to stand, stand therefore. You don't fight, you stand on your authority. You stand on the authority of the word. That's not fighting. The Bible never told you to fight the devil. The Bible said resist the devil. I wish I had a witness. Well, what am I doing if I'm resisting? I am standing. You see, those things have no more authority over you than you allow them to. But when you're not taught the word and you're not taught faith, and you're not taught the power of confession and prayer, you'll let your life handle you rather than you handle life. So we have to bring every, last clause please, bringing every thought, you see the thought is the stronghold, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I have to change my thinking. My thinking is Luciferian. It is brought on by Lucifer. My thinking is satanic. Now, Satan sought to position himself above God. And that's how this whole thing got started. May I say to you, the devil is not after you. You got caught in the crossfire. The devil wanted to break God's heart. Now, Bible students will remember that Satan was once at the throne of God as an angel. And he was jealous because he was the only angel stationed right behind God. And there was this music coming out of him into the ears of God. Well, he was watching all of these angels worship God all the time. Worship, worship. And he, listen, over worship, decided he would try to overthrow heaven. Do you realize the first war ever fought on the earth was about worship? Cain killed Abel. First war ever fought. And what was it over? Worship. The Bible said Cain brought to God whatever he wanted to bring, but Abel, his brother, brought a better sacrifice. And Cain killed him over that. Do you know the biggest fights in the world today are over worship? The, the radical Islamic groups are worshipers of Islam, worshipers of Muhammad. You know what they fear the most why they hate the United States so much? is because of Christianity. 
and they don't want Christianity to spread around into their regions where they have censored it on, on media, on satellites, on radio, on the internet. They are keeping their countries from Jesus Christ. The greatest fear is that the gospel will reach those countries. You say, well, it's about the oil. Well, the truth is, y'all, in another five to ten years, you'll be driving an electric car. That's why your gas is cheaper now than it was five years ago. I wish I had a witness. We're moving to another level when it comes to transportation, another dimension. But understand that Satan wanted worship. What, what is the last temptation he said to Jesus when Jesus got here? And he met him out there in the wilderness. He said, turn these stones into bread. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He took him up on the temple. He said, jump down. The word says that God will spare you. The angels will save you. Jesus said to him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord thy God. Him only shall you serve. He said, well, 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 bow down and worship me. Because Satan wants worship. Are you hearing me? He wanted the angels to worship him when he saw how well they worship God. For him to want to exalt his throne above God, he wanted God to worship him. And when God came to the earth in the form of Jesus Christ, he invited Jesus to worship him. That's all he wants is worship. Is worship. Now, when Satan could not get his throne above God because they put him out, Evicted him. He set his throne in between heaven and earth. There are those that said the devil is in hell. That's not taught anywhere in the Bible. The Bible does not teach that the devil is in hell. The Bible said the devil is in the midair. He is separating the earth from God. He sits in between God and us. And he said, in essence, God wasn't fair to him because here's what God does. In Christ, God came down to the earth beneath Satan's throne. All right, let's do it like this. The top of this podium represents Satan's throne. My head represents God and the stage represents the earth. Satan could not go above God, but God came below Satan. Well, Satan said that's unfair. Because, see, in Satan's mind, he was now the champion of the earth realm. As soon as he deceived Eve and Adam sinned, he put his throne in the air because all of us are supposed to be serving him. We're supposed to be worshiping the devil. I wish somebody understood me. We're all human beings are supposed to be worshiping the devil. But you know what happened? God came down to earth and became a human being. In God becoming a human being, he robbed Satan of his authority. Not only did he become a human being, he was born like a human being, grew up like a human being, lived like a human being, died as a human being. Now, the greatest weapon the devil had, weapon, weapon the devil had against us was death. Oh, boy, he threatened you with death. Look at what he says in the book of Job. Skin for skin, all that a man has, he'll give for his life. Satan intimidated human beings with death. And then God came to the earth and took that away. I'm here to tell you, you ain't got to be scared of death. Death now is not what it was in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when you're dead, you're done. In the New Testament, when you die, you're just slipping over into a better life, a better place. I know we grieve when people pass, but we do that because we've suffered a loss because of the relationship. But the best news is that if that person died in Christ, they're doing better than you're doing. They're in a better place, they've got a better situation, and they don't have to worry about the cares of this world because Jesus turned death into a graduation ceremony. We graduate from the University of Adversity. 
to receive a degree in eternal life. Now, there are three satanic deterrents I need to talk to you about and let you go home. The first is obstacles. If the devil can bring obstacles into your life, it will slow your spiritual progress down. Weapon number one, obstacles, events, or situations. Have, have you ever made a commitment and then it seemed like all hell broke loose? Some people committed to go to church every Sunday this year. And something happened, a change in the job. And now they have to work every Sunday. Situation changed. So I'm going to pay my tithes. And then the car breaks down. Or your daughter calls you from college and she needs every dime you just got. Situations. But it doesn't dawn on people that the devil is the orchestrator of those situations. Because every time you make a commitment, it is always followed by warfare. In other words, you have to war to keep your word. Let me try that again. Let me try that again. See, we make the mistake of thinking the devil is as smart as God is. He's not. He's as dumb as we are. Because the devil is not God. God is omniscient. He knows everything. The devil is like us. He's a created being. So he doesn't know any more about your tomorrow than you do. And the only way he knows that you plan to do something or committed to do something is when you declared it. When I said to Pastor Pickens, I'm going to do thus and so this week, that's when the devil found out I was going to do it. He can't read my mind. And he can't look into my future. He listens to my mouth. How many people have I heard in church say to me, Pastor, look, everything was going all right in life till I gave my testimony. After I gave my testimony, it looked like more. My, my legs start aching the next two or three days. And I'm that old arthritis come in. And, and, I, I, and I'm suffering with the gout. And I'm suffering with, after my testimony. And my question is, well, why would you suffer with it? Why don't you let it go on and suffer by itself? Why both of y'all got to suffer? But the, the truth is, whenever you make a declaration, you have declared war in that area. All right. I wasn't going to church every Sunday. Let, let me just use me. Let me just say this. I wasn't going to church every Sunday. I make a declaration. I'm going to worship every Sunday. That is a declaration of war to whatever spirits there was keeping me from going. I'm saying to those spirits, I ain't studying you no more. That's a good old Alabama word. I ain't studying you no more. I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. But what you don't realize is those spirits intensify to hold you where you are. Oh, it happens in our giving, it happens in our relationships at home, it happens in our work relationships. We make commitments not knowing you declared war on the enemy. See, you think the devil attacked you. No, baby, you attacked him. Because you said you were going to change. I ain't going down there no more. I ain't going to be going with them no more. I don't have a witness here. I wish I had a witness here. You know, the way we run these relationships. You ever been on Facebook and somebody, what's your relationship? And they say, well, you know, I'm this and that. I, I'm, in a, I'm in a relationship. Then they say, it's complicated. Well, I'm thinking if it's complicated, why don't you get out of it? I mean, if it's com that's what you live for, complication. How much time you got on this earth? I wish I had a witness here. You're going to live the prime of your life in complication and advertise it? But you know why you don't want to get out? Because every time you tried to get out, it intensified. Oh, I don't have a witness here. Look like they start acting better. Oh, yeah, you quit him. You quit old doodly dumb, but look like Looked like he started acting better. Matter of fact, he said he was going to act better. And he did. 
for about three weeks. Next thing is distractions, alternatives, or lack of focus. Distractions. Obstacles and distractions. You make a commitment, but here's an alternative. And you, you said you were going back to school, but there's a distraction. There's a distraction. You said you were going to go to school, but there's a distraction. You said you were going to pick up your career and get it to another level. Ah, but there's a distraction. You, you, you made a plan for your money, but then came along a, a get, get money quick scheme, a multi-level marketing thing. I ain't throwing off. I'm just talking about what I'm talking about. You know, everything from Amway to Mary Kay to, you know, Melaleuca to Tahitian Noni Juice to prepaid legal to five links. The problem is you ain't got the money to get in it. They want $500 up front, so you got to go to your sister and get three because you ain't got but two. Now you owe your sister three. You're already in debt, not making enough money, but you let it throw your focus off. You had a budget. But this looked like, you know, you know how they say, you know, in two days you can make $8,000. <laughs> Only to find out you got to work 23 and a half hours every day to make $8,000. Now here's the last thing and let's get ready to go. Not only obstacles, not only distractions, but then Satan uses opponents. People. Satan can plant people in your life that can get you off of your journey. And most of the time, those people do that through offenses. Offenses. You know, we live in a time when people are more sensitive than ever before. Jesus said in the last days that many would be offended in me. And I'm telling you, now, in this day and time, Look like everybody gets mad, just like that. Everybody's got a hair trigger. You hurt my feelings. Those old saints that raised us, they were tough. They could take correction. They could take admonition. They could take, but us, man, you say one little thing. You even look at me in a way I don't like. I don't have a witness here. I was sitting in a restaurant not too long ago looking at how carefully this mother was trying to keep from offending her bad-acting baby. We're scared of our children. Well, we don't want them to grow up with a complex. You should have told those people that raised us about that. Not only did they raise their voice, they raised their hand, they raised their switch, they raised their belt, they raised their paddle. And dared you to get offended. Dared you to even act like you didn't like it. They would whip you and wouldn't even let you cry. And you get to cry and they intensify. Shut up. Shut up. I dare you to say it again. Shut up. And I'm sitting in the restaurant. Have you ever sit in the restaurant looking at the other table and wondering what's wrong with that parent? And you know how we do. We, we're trying to get that parent's eye. We ain't looking at the child. We're looking at the parent. Because you know those people that raised us will tell you, you ain't going to embarrass me out here. Ain't going to have nobody looking at me. You're going to sit right there and be quiet. But everybody's so sensitive nowadays. Now, relationships can be spiritual. Now, this is a scripture, Mark 10 and 9, is one that we all know, but I want to show you a side of it. Jesus said, therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, we know that's about marriage, all right? We've often not understood this passage well. I might say this, too. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. People have looked at that and said, well, if God put you together, you, you know, you can't separate. Well, that may depend on how that other person starts acting. You're not praying with me. But, but let me say this to you. What that verse actually means, don't let no man separate, it means nobody should get in between a husband and a wife. In other words, if you're the mother-in-law, butt out. 
Is that clear enough? You know, my son, I married my son to his wife, I guess, 12, 13 years ago. I have yet to comment on anything that goes on between them. Even if he says something, she says something, I'm just like, oh. Even if you invited in, honey, stay out. That's what the verse really means. Let not a man, let not another person get in between them. I don't have a witness here. Now, I know that there are cases where there's maybe some alcoholism or abuse or addiction. That, that's different. You know, you know that's different. But in too many cases, we get involved in married folks' business. Preach, Reverend. Thank you. I believe I will. Now, they have to work it out. But here's what the verse also teaches. There are some relationships in life that God puts together. Me and Brother Love sitting there, that's Butcher. He's my number one amener in the amen corner. Whether I'm saying the truth or not, he's going to help me. When I met him, he was sitting in that very spot he's sitting in right now, five years ago. When I met him, he was sitting right there. When I preach, he says amen. When I sing, he says amen. Now, let's say that that is a relationship formed in the will of God. Because, listen, in life, you need those relationships. Relationships can be an answer to prayer. You pray and ask God for to go to school or to start your own business. Or you pray and ask God for some breakthrough. Or there's some house you're trying to buy. And the only way that may happen is through the relationship with a particular real estate agent or a particular loan officer or somebody that has the money to just give because the Lord led them to do it. That's a relationship that was needed in order for God to answer that prayer. Listen, honey, God ain't got no money in heaven. They don't print it up there. So if you need a financial breakthrough, it's going to come from somewhere on the earth. I wish I had a witness. Jesus said, give, and it shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Shall men give into your bosom? So when you pray for a financial miracle, understand, it won't come from the sky. It's going to come from the earth. And if it comes from the earth, it's not buried in the ground in your neighbor's backyard for you to just stumble upon. It's going to come through relationship. Every major breakthrough I've had on earth had somebody attached to it that God sent into my life or sent me into their life and divinely connected us. So relationships can be an answer to prayer. Now, some folk are just associates with you. Others are assigned to you. If it is an answer to prayer, that's an assignment. But if it's just somebody I met, that's an associate. And we all have folk, some of them are associates and others have been assigned. The problem is we try to hold on to associates as if they were assigned. You know who really breaks your heart? Are the associated folk that you try to be assigned to you. Let me try that again. You're not hearing me. What really breaks your heart is when you keep trying to hold on to somebody that you never should have been with to begin with. But you tried to talk God into it. I don't have a witness here. You met them. You, know, you thought they were nice. They're kind of cute, kind of fine, you know, kind of funny, good sense of humor, kind of nice. You know, good gentleman, you know, good looking lady. You know what I'm saying? Do y'all know what I'm saying? And then you start talking to God about them. Lord, is this the one? Like I saw in the Christian Mingle commercial. Lord, please let him be the one. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. I've been looking for a church going man. Thank you, Lord. I've been looking for somebody nice. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let this be the one. And then you get heartbroken. And you say, Lord, what happened? Trying to hold on to an associate as if they were assigned. I don't have a witness. What does the Bible say? He that finds a wife finds a good thing. 
he that finds one. And that doesn't mean you're going out looking for one or going out looking for the other. That just means if, if one comes along. Oh, I don't have a witness here. And I, maybe I ought to say a word about soul, uh, those, those that think they're soul mates. Because that's a carnal weapon. That's of the flesh. That's not of the word. The word never says you got a soul mate. Said, so, but we like the same movies. We laugh at the same things. We both like chitlins with hot sauce and mustard. Yeah, we like tacos. You know, we 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 we. It's just amazing how much we have in common. Must be my soulmate. Baby, just ain't no such thing. If God worked like that, what if your soulmate was in prison for the rest of his or her life? Or what if they got killed in Afghanistan in the war? Ain't but one person on the face of this earth? Said, well, I thought we were soulmates. That's usually where it goes. It always starts out, we are soulmates. And a few years later, I thought we were soulmates. There are five people you need in life. Friends, everybody say friends. Enemies, everybody say enemies. Do you know that God not only supplies friends, he supplies your enemies? <laughs> See, we all need friends. We all need friends. Robert Johnson and I, we say we're friends. What does that mean? That means that we, we encourage one another and we correct one another because we hold each other accountable. If I see him acting a fool, I can tell him. And he won't quit the relationship. I wish I had a witness now. If he sees that I'm not dressed right, he'll tell me. If my skirt is too short. Or I got on the wrong hairstyle. Because we need people who can see us because we cannot see ourselves. I don't have enough help, but I know you love a mirror and I know you take 10 selfies a day, but you cannot see yourself. You really don't know what your attitude is like. You really don't know how you respond to certain people and certain situations, but your friends do. By the time you realize a frown is on your face, you've already been frowning 10 seconds. That's why we need friends, because friends really tell us about ourselves. But then you need enemies, because if everybody around you is your friend, you'll never make it anywhere in life. Your enemies make you pray. Your enemies push you to destiny in a peculiar way. Everybody here needs to send their biggest enemy a bouquet of flowers and thank them. Because if it had not been for them, you never would have improved on yourself. If somebody hadn't have been talking about you, you never would have corrected what was wrong. I don't have a witness here. If somebody hadn't have conspired against you, you never would have figured out how to move on out of their way. People tell me I have enemies. What should I do? I say pray for them. They say what should I pray? That God will kill them? No. You pray for your enemies to have everything you want in life. Pray for their finances. Pray for their health. Pray for their children to do well in school. Pray that the Lord blesses them with abundance and no lack. Everything you want in your life, that's what you pray for your enemies. I had a lady, she was a sergeant in the army, and she had a superior officer that was just terrible. And she would come in and complain about it every week, every Tuesday night in Bible study. And she said, and she was my executive secretary at the time. And she said, what should I do? I said, pray for your supervisor to have everything that you want. What do you want in life? She told me. I said, pray for them to have that. She said, for real? I can hardly call their name. No, you pray for them. Why? Number one, it's going to minister to you. Because you realize that the devil and that enemy, that in, the devil is using that enemy. It ain't personal. 
It's the devil using them to aggravate you. That's number one. But number two, you are showing the love of God. What if God treated us the way we treat him? Are you hearing me? I'm getting through now. She started doing that. She came back in a month. She said, guess what? What? My supervisor has gotten promoted and they'll be leaving town in two weeks. And they're getting a better job with better pay. See, that's the way you get rid of an enemy. Pray them along the road. But number three, we need connectors. People that can connect you to destiny. Number four, we need mentors. And the word mentor is actually the name of a man in Grecian mythology that took in young men and helped them get ready for the Olympics. We need mentors. But then we need protégés. We need people that are like students or pupils or trainees or apprentices that we pass things on to. You see, it, it's, it's a bigger blessing for me to train a young preacher than it is for the young preacher. And I spend my life looking for young preachers to train. I, I go up and down the road, flying airplanes, looking for young preachers to train. That's why I had to be out yesterday. I'm training young preachers. Why? Because it's a blessing. It helps me grow when I give away life. It is more blessed to give than to, I don't have a Bible reader. It's more blessed to what? In other words, the blessing experience is better when you're giving away than when you get it. Stop praying to get so much. Pray that God will create opportunities where you can give because that's the real blessed life. So Jesus had people assigned to him. He had friends. Come on, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He had enemies, Judas, Herod, and the chief Jews. He had connectors. Remember the woman at the well? Jesus said, I must need go to Samaria. And after he got through with that woman, she went to her hometown. And the Bible said, brought everybody from her hometown out to that well to see Jesus. She connected him to the village of Sychar. Then Jesus had protégés, Peter, James, John, Thomas, Bartholomew, Andrew, Judas, not Iscariot, and others that followed him and he trained them. But the thing about Jesus, he didn't have any mentors because he was too unique. Only the Father could mentor Jesus. And Jesus said, whatever you see me do, I do it because my Father did it. Whatever I say to you, I say because he said it. Now, I need to get through here, but I need you to know that Satan destroys people using relationships. When I said destroy, I don't mean destroys your relationship with God. I mean he destroys your joy. What did Jesus say? The thief has come to what? Steal. To what? Kill. And to what? But he uses people to do that. Honey, you ain't never seen the devil come walking down the street with a hat on and a cane in his hand. You've never seen the devil riding on a bicycle, a motorcycle, or riding in a car, a bus, a plane. No, the devil uses people to push his agenda. And listen, the Bible said in John 13 and 2, after the supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus. The devil gets in folk. And when he gets in folk, people can change on you. I said people can change on you. Their hearts can change. When a person gets a spirit of jealousy, control, they'll do everything they can to destroy you. They'll damage your reputation. I wish I had a witness. They'll stab you in the back on the job. They will put lies and rumors out on you. They will say that you were where you were not and did what you never done because they've got a spirit of jealousy. And when a person gets jealous, they don't want what you have. They just don't want you to have it. And anybody who's jealous is violent. Because it's a jealousy is not one emotion. It's a mixture of emotions. There's some fear in it. I wish I had a witness. There's anger mixed in it. I wish somebody could pray. The truth is when a person gets jealous, there's no limit to what they will do to bring you down. 
People can change. Hearts can change. Judas started off following Jesus just like all the rest. But somewhere along the line, he got a spirit of control. I'm going to take over this thing. I'm going to take over this situation. I'm going to betray him to the enemies. And a person with a spirit of control is dangerous. But we need relationships. Why? Because it helps us to practice our fellowship with God. Here's what the Bible said. How are you going to say you love God and you've never seen and you hate your brother you see every day? You can't love God unless you know how to love people. I wish I had a witness. I said you can't love God who's invisible unless you can love folk who are visible. You said, but they are not lovable. Are you? Oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a good person. Who told you that? We're all people. I wish I had a witness. The Bible says all have sinned. Not y'all have sinned. We need to practice fellowship with God. You know why I have to love you? Because that's how I exercise how I love the Lord. I don't know how to love God unless I know how to love my fellow man. And then I've got a love for God. But we need relationships also so we can help others. I said help others. Somebody say help others. Not help you, you help somebody. Listen, your purpose in life ought to be to make the world better, make your community better, make your neighborhood better, make your church better, and you do that by helping others. Oh, when I was growing up in church, I used to love to hear them sing that solo, if I can help somebody while I pass along, if I can cheer somebody with a word or song, if I can show some traveler that he's traveling wrong, then my living shall not be in vain. I don't know about you, but I don't want my living to be in vain. I don't want my preaching to be in vain. I don't want my singing to be in vain. I want to live so God can use me. Anywhere, at any time, I want to help others get the word, understand the word, know who Jesus is. I want to help others. Then the last thing, not only to practice fellowship with God, not only to help others, but to develop a synergy. You know, a synergy means that we get together because we are stronger together than we are by ourselves. Now, I know that some folk think they're all of that. They think they're a baller and a shot caller. But the truth is, when Reggie and I get together, we're stronger together than we are by ourselves. I wish I had a winner. When Alfredo and I get together, when Doris and I get together, when Arthur and I get together, we're stronger together than we are by ourselves. And we need to get together. I know we've got different appetites and different ideas, but oh, we need to get together because together we can change the world. We can make Besma a better city if we get together. If the church gets together with the school, if the church and the school get together with the city, with the mayor's office and the city council, if the mayor's office and the city council gets together with the community groups, we can do more working together than working against one another. Do you hear me? The Bible says that one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put 10,000 to flight. The Bible says if any two of you will agree on earth as touching anything, it shall be done by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are assembled together in my name, I shall be in the midst. Yeah, 
us. We're joined together in the Holy Ghost. We're one in the Spirit. We're walking together. Come on, Carver. Come on, Carver. Let's get together. Come on, Carver. Let the women and the men sing together. Come on, Carver. Let the old folk and the young folk work together. Come on, Carver. Let the educated and the uneducated shout together. Come on, Carver. Let the old women help the young women. Let the young women help the old women. Come on, Carver. One in the Holy Ghost. Yes. Yes! Come on! Let's walk together! Come on! Let's serve together! Ah, come on! I want you to reach over. Now, I, I don't want you to, to mess with nobody's personal space that's got an attitude. But you know what? I need you to reach over and get somebody by the hand. And I need you to look at him and say, neighbor, neighbor, let's ask the Lord to help us walk together, work together, worship together. Tell him, neighbor, I got your back. I need you to get mine. Tell him, neighbor, we're one in the Holy Ghost. Say yes! Say yes! Say yes! Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus.